Hi, it's Joanna Oki here. Welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have a really interesting show. We're interviewing Brian Keane, the founder of the book Franchise Simply, who is one of Australia's most sought-after advisors for business owners who are considering franchising. Brian is also co-author with me of the book Secrets of Business Experts Exposed. And in today's episode, we're talking all about the opportunities available for business owners in the franchising concept. So we talk about franchising as a way to scale and leverage a business, to provide growth for a business where you have passion for the business, not just as an economic incentive. But we also talk about the economic incentives as well. And take a bit of a walk through what the difference can be between the value of a business operating as one business versus the value to the business owner of taking that idea and franchising it because it really can make a massive difference in not just the sale value, but also the saleability as a whole of a business. So I hope you find today's discussion with Brian really interesting. I know I did. So buckle in. Here we go. Let's talk to Brian. You're listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple, actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Brian, I just wanted first to say a big thank you for joining us on Talking Law. On the contrary, thank you for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation, Joanna. Thank you. So I guess let's get straight into the meat of it because there's a lot that I would like to talk today about in relation to franchising because I think there's lots of areas really that we should cover. But let's start with the publicity around franchising at the moment because franchising from a franchisee's perspective is getting a really bad rap in the media at the moment. So we've got a lot of really, big names that seem to have behaved pretty poorly to their franchisees. And I think some of our listeners and certainly some of our advisors deal with businesses who might sit on the franchisee side. Many businesses that we deal with are also particularly interested in franchising from the franchisor's side. So I'd really like us today to be looking a little bit at both of those sides of the equation. But let's just kick it off with the recent media, it's concerning, right? What's your thought about all of these things that we're really seeing at the moment? I'm absolutely appalled. I've been in franchising since 1982 and there's been ups and downs. There's always people who exploit the system or just not up to scratch and they fail, whether they're franchisees or franchisors. That's life and that's business. But when it's been, I think, a premeditated process, which Retail Food Group, I married Almeida, who was the founder of that back in the late 80s, early 90s, when it was just Donut King. And he grew that business in a process 
methodical sort of manner, if you like. He knew what he was doing. What happened was it went to the market and there was an IPO and the share register got got basically taken over by some identities who basically then were just looking as happens with public companies when you see buyouts, whether it's a franchise or Dick Smith, they just try and ramp the value up, draw out all they can from the cash flow for dividends. And what's happened here with Retail Food Group, and it just highlights why franchising isn't suited generally to public companies and large investors. Because the reason being, I'll explain, is is that their focus is just the bottom line every 12 months, whether it's the CEO's bonuses or whatever. Franchising is actually a community, almost a family business model. And when it strays beyond that to what Retail Food Group were doing, I think they've been, frankly, their behavior has been appalling and recalcitrant in as much as they've recruited the inappropriate franchisees. They've just rolled franchisees in out. They've been churning. They've not given proper support. They've actually redlined all the boxes that I would say you need to have to have a decent franchise. It's as simple as that. And unfortunately, the vast majority of franchise groups are very ethical, very honourable. The vast majority of franchisees are really happy. And the testimony to that is that many groups have got franchisees who've been with them for 15, 20 years. And that's not because they don't want to be there. It's because they've enjoyed the growth and the benefits. So unfortunately, the retail food group type situation, the quicker that that's resolved, the better, because it's having a huge impact on anybody in franchising, which is really unfortunate for franchisees. Unfortunately, the value of their assets currently is depleted because there's this suspicion that every franchise out there somehow or other is inappropriate or is is unethical, you know. Yeah. And so I think what we'll do is in another episode on our sister podcast, The Deal Room, talk particularly about how franchisees who are buying existing franchise businesses or indeed perhaps buying a new franchise can identify good versus bad franchises. So we'll come back to that and we'll talk about that specifically on The Deal Room. Today, let's focus on the perspective from a business who is looking at franchising as a potential way of growth for the business into the future. Because we have a lot of clients by way of background that have franchising as an idea in their mind, as a potential for the future. And often I'm fielding questions about the differences between a licensing arrangement versus a franchise. So I think we should dig into that. But let's first start with when might the concept of franchising be relevant for a business owner to consider in relation to their own business? Right. My views are contrary to people you'll find in the profession. I've actually started my own franchises in the past from a concept and launched them very successfully, and I've helped other people do it. There are certain criteria you need to meet. One of the most successful franchise groups that I've worked with in recent times, National Drones, came and sat down to me and said, everyone tells me I'm dark. This is the idea I've got. Franchising drones. This was three and a half years ago when they were barely on the market. And I said, that is brilliant. I could see it would appeal to people. So the big thing is you have a concept or a business that's going to appeal to people, excite them. And this was one, for example, if we take national drones, the business is self-explanatory and it's grown enormously. They've found numerous applications. They work for the Navy, for the police, for schools, for farmers, for builders, for insurance companies, you name it. And franchisees, it's big boys' toys. The guys love it. Photographers love it. People who like model aircraft love it. 
And so what we did was launch that business within a three-month period, and they've never stopped. They've taken off excuse, pun. And they're now overseas and expanding, and they've attracted investors from large franchise groups who've actually participated with significant capital because they have a plan now to expand into about 13 countries. So that's a concept. Now, if we look at an established business, sometimes that's more difficult because You're going to look and say, okay, is the business profitable? Is it something that attracts customers? Is it something that's going to attract franchisees? Is the person who owns or runs that business or do they have access to staff or partnerships or management, do they have what it takes to develop and grow a business? And it takes commitment. It takes guts. And it takes flexibility because whatever you see today will not be the same tomorrow. Apart from the rapid rate of change with digitization, the reality is when you say, I've got this right, it's going to work. We know that 12 months later, you're going to be tuning it. It's a moonshot. Everything's a moonshot in my book. So with established businesses, the big thing is it's got to appeal to prospective franchisees. You know, If you're doing a brain surgery franchise, there's a very limited market. <laughs> Okay, good point. If it's a cleaning business or it's an electrician's business, the building industry has got literally thousands of opportunities. Every trade you can think of, plasterers, painters, as the business world becomes more sophisticated, the small businessman, the tradie, for example, is a bit lost. He hasn't got the marketing skills. He hasn't got the software platforms and knowing how to use them. So if he can get a franchise that does the marketing for him, gives him the support and the systems and the brand, then really he's solved his problem of diminishing workload. That applies in a lot of areas. I don't know if I've gone on a bit too much there, but at the end of the day, it's very simple. It's people. And that sounds a bit corny, doesn't it? But you've got to have the right people running it with the right ethics and the right motivation and commitment who are prepared to weather the storm and who can mentor people who are learning how to run a business, the franchisees. Now, you need franchisees with the right people. There's no point in getting an accountant or a lawyer to come and sell a commodity because their mindset is wrong. They haven't got the right personality profile. You've got to get people who are outgoing and motivated and innovative and easy to communicate with. They're the sorts of people you need out there. One of our clients has got mobile massage. They tend to people at end of life and nursing homes. And their model was that their nurses would actually go through the area and sell their product to nursing homes and people who were ailing at home. That didn't work because nurses are supportive people. They don't have the personality. They hate sales. Sales is a dirty word. So we have to restructure their model so they've got regional salespeople. And then the odd nurses that actually are good salespeople, well, you put them into the role of being a regional manager. So it's horses for courses, very much. So what's the example of something that would identify to you a business owner coming in and saying, yeah, I've got this business. I think it's something that would scale well. So therefore, I'm thinking about franchising. So what do you say to them? What's the questions that you ask in order to evaluate whether or not it's a good business to franchise? Okay. So basically, I suppose I mentioned the key elements, you know, is is there a demand for the product? Is it profitable? Is there enough margin, not just for the franchisor, but for the franchisees as well? And that's only going to emerge for the franchisor when he's reached a tipping point. Maybe he needs three or four outlets, maybe he needs eight or nine. So he's got to have the cash flow to get there. But essentially, can they see growth? If I was looking at a video store at the moment, I'd be thinking, hang on, (laughs) that's history. It's not going to work anymore. You've got to look at the technology out 
out there and say, has this got a reasonable life cycle? And then you've got to say, does the franchisor have the funds to invest in growing it? It needn't be a lot of money, but it needs the money to invest in putting together good operating systems, good procedures, good documentation, good legal documents, and all the marketing so he can go out there and recruit franchisees. So having the funds, working capital is really the biggest restraint I see that people have. They try and do it without enough. You don't have to have vast amounts, but you need to have a bit up your sleeve. Then you need to get those systems sorted out, the right people, as I mentioned. And then you've got to say, well, can you handle growth? Some people, I've reached their Peter's principle, you know, that ceiling where they really have done as much as they can. They don't mentally perhaps have the skills to move up to another level. And some people grow with the business. And that's what happens to all the larger entrepreneurs and so forth, from the Bill Gates downwards. Others get stuck where they are. And then you've got to say, is the product, doesn't have to be unique, that's a myth, but is it something that can have a point of difference? You know, if your hamburger is different, then that might be enough. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about marketing. I see marketing and food as almost being like clothing. It's a fashion business. So you need to make sure if you haven't got a good name, you need to get one, get the IP protected, get it trademarked and so on. And then you do need to look at this branding and marketing. I mean, that's something we look at right at the beginning with people and training programs. Most people don't have specific training programs. When I say to them, how do you train your new team members? Well, they spend a couple of days with us, a couple of days with John and a day with Jennifer, and we nurse them along. That's all very well. But if you're going to scale up, you've got to get formal training programs that work for people with different learning habits and skills. Some people learn from audio, some from video, some from just rolling their sleeves up and jumping in the deep end. And then you've got to say, have you leveraged yourself from the day to the day or are you still working literally on the tools? doesn't matter whether we're talking about a bookkeeper here or we're talking about a plasterer. Are you able to leverage yourself from the day-to-day so you can manage the business? Because that's what you've got to do. And one of my clients over in Perth a few years ago, Shannon Daniels from Triumphant Property Cleaning, they clean strata offices and they do a whole building. And he came into us, he started a franchise program. We take them right through from educating them right the way through to recruitment and mindset, everything else in between. And he realized after he'd done a weekend training program, and he said, you know, I've actually got to get myself out of the business. And he promoted a supervisor to be the general manager. And I thought, wow, that's bold. And he turned his phone off till three in the afternoon and he didn't open his emails to then. And he just got stuck in. And what we did, a strategic plan, which we always do right at the beginning, we fly to wherever people are and this is essential and map out a whole business model. So you're mapping out not just the divisions in your business, the marketing, the branding, the accounts. You're actually putting in the divisions departments for the franchisees and you're mapping out your client flow. Where do your customers come from? Every touch of the process, whether it's marketing or whatever. When you're recruiting franchisees, you get an inquiry. How do you process it? How quickly do you speak to them? When do you get to the point of an interview? Do they fill in application forms? When do you get a deposit? All that sort of thing. So once you've got that together, you're starting to get an idea or you certainly build a model. And my mind's blowing here. That sounds like a lot of work. I'm just going to call out the elephant in the room because we've dealt with many clients who are franchisors and it can be a tough gig. There is a lot involved on an ongoing basis. I think sometimes people just look at this concept of franchising and they just see it as a big ticket to passive income. And this is the setup phase, right? We're not even into maintenance because there is a lot involved in the maintenance phase as well. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but let's 
just drag it right back to the beginning, calling it for what it is. What's the payoff for all of this work? You know, it's not an easy meal ticket, but what's the payoff that we can be looking at? Most people that I talk to in business are successful, actually passionate about it. They're in there for financial returns. That's all well and good, but they're probably not going to have the passion to be in there and get the commitment and carry people with them. So having an absolute passion and an ultimate goal is really, really important. If people don't have that, if they don't get up a bit out of bed in the mornings with some long-term goal, even beyond the business, then they're probably going to be challenged. So the reality is what they're able to do is see their business, their concept that they once saw on a piece of paper or in their head materialize. So people say to me, my business which they treat as an individual, my business deserves to grow because it's good. It needs to prove itself. It's almost like we do and we aspire to do better. So I see a business as actually a living organism. Essentially, what you get from it is the chance to build an asset and you're leveraging it. So you're using other people's capital, right, ethically, by getting their revenue from their franchise fees they're paying you that you use to expand. So they open the outlets or they take over once you've already opened and they do the hard yards in growing it servicing customers that you can't do unless you're a big corporate, which invariably big corporates have a tough time. We've all seen what happens with the Myers and all these other organizations. You know, getting management and getting decent return margins is far better in franchising than it is in corporate retail and other business outlets. So at the end of the day then, for a lot of people, some say, I want to hand it over to the family. Others say, look, in five or 10 or 15 years, I'd like to maybe sell this business and move on. I see it as an exit strategy. Don't get my yacht in the wit Sundays or whatever it might be or go and do community work or become, you know, working in Asia helping children or whatever it might be that drives them. And it's the opportunity for an exit strategy. So a good franchise business is very attractive to much more than the average business appeals to. The average business appeals to a typical small businessman who will buy a business, business person, buy a business, run it for five years and sell it buy another one, run it for five years and sell it. In franchising, you appeal to people who are often past franchisees or other groups. You may have staff or team members or even reps or people like that you deal with are interested in buying into it. You'll get competitors who are interested in buying the business because they can consolidate the two. You'll get manufacturers who often buy so our retail bedding group I was in when I first started franchising in Perth grew to about 20 outlets and our major supplier was so terrified of losing the business that he actually bought the group. So the founders got a huge payout. That's happened in a lot of cases. It's been inflated by retail food group who obviously blown the balloons that were on that one. But that's not to say that that's not happening a lot. It does. Consolidation of groups is what's been happening traditionally internationally for many years and it's growing here. So it's that opportunity. The other people who often buy out franchise groups are the franchisees. Yeah, it's not all about the money. It's about the passion that drives it. But if we get in economic terms, you know, what have you seen in terms of the value of a business that's just the small business as opposed to perhaps what it's turned into that you've seen over time when this business owner has managed to franchise it and then exit at that point? Well, I've seen pizza groups that have grown to maybe 100 outlets and they are all franchised. So the franchisor doesn't own the leases. All he owns is really is a franchise agreement, which might be for five or seven years, recurring terms. And, you know, they've changed hands often for $200,000 per outlet. So $20 million because it's just like property. You know, if you've got a strip of shops, offices, the value of that real estate is, a, is based on the rental income. If you've got a franchise group with franchise agreements and it's working well and you've got revenue from franchisees and the probability of probably the most of them will renew, 
then that gives the investor or the purchaser or the other competitor that buys them out the benefit of actually being able to take that business over very simply just by perhaps putting a general manager in but all the infrastructure is there all the systems all the customers and to build a business up you know is fraught with risk you know you only look at the stock exchange and see how many businesses that were there 20 years ago are there today very few so that's one of the benefits so seeing quite significant multiples is not unusual it's happened recently a couple of times with coffee chains for example coffee shops Again, because the attraction for the larger or the acquirer is that they can consolidate. They've already got the administration, the training, the marketing, all those systems. It's much cheaper. They bring someone else in, another business in, they're going to reduce the percentage cost per outlet. Therefore, their profit goes up. And what's an example, and you may not know this, which is fine if you don't, but what's an example of the sort of multiples that you've seen buyers pay for franchises, like as in for the franchisor group? From the franchisor point of view, and that's what I've been referring to there, well, really significant. It's hard to put a figure. It depends what it costs them to set up and what they put into it. But assuming they might have spent $5 million, you know, over a period of 10 years building that business, invested it and so on, they're going to sell it for 20, they've got a multiple maybe around the five, six mark. It's pretty significant, let's face it. And basically, they're getting a cash payout. And from the franchisee point of view, I mean, I bought my first retail franchise. It was a bedshed, a bedding business in Perth for $30,000. I sold it about four years later for about 120. About another three or four years later, someone relocated it and then sold it for half a million. So there's huge potential when you're building businesses. And that's where you get the optimum. And that's where you need an entrepreneurial franchisee who's going to get in there and really works hard to grow it. You'll get other people who want to get in and just steady as she goes. If you're a franchisor and you've learned, and most of the gyms and the pool works and these people have learned way back the hard way, you don't get people who want a job. You get people who aspire to greater things and higher levels. The likes of Paul work give sell you a, a franchise with a van for 120000 but only if you want to own one of their retail outlets, which is a whole bigger scale picture, and you've got to prove yourself. And Subway's the same. You know, you buy one, you prove yourself, they'll offer you some more. That's where you see there's, there's benefits across the board, providing you meet those key criteria. You know, you've got to have the good support, you've got to have damn good operations manuals, which is where most groups, frankly, fall down, even current groups. They don't have adequate manuals for their franchisors, let alone their franchisees. So that's one very, very important area that would have overcome a lot of the problems at Retail Food Group. And there's that training, the right people. And then the ongoing support and training, you know, you've got to nurture people. It's a whole mentoring process. So you've got to understand the psychology. There's some great books and some great people in franchising who can teach people that. So you've got to be open to learning and you go out there and you've got to be a sponge and suck all this up. But it's so exciting. What I find in franchising, the thing that after having owned my own businesses for a number of years, the great thing was the camaraderie amongst franchisees and between franchisors who openly share their knowledge, their intellectual property with other people in the sector because they've got a common wish to see the sector grow. They've got pride in what they do. So they would like to string up all of those past directors of retail food group and literally see them hanging from a tree. That might sound a bit violent, but frankly, when you look at what they've caused, the problems, I would be there pulling the rope along with everybody else. And uh, it's, it's tragic. Franchising will get through that, but it will take time, unfortunately. But now there are opportunities. You know, when the market sinks, that's when the real entrepreneurs out there actually grow their businesses because they see if the market's a bit soft, it's a good opportunity to grow. People like Jack Cowan from Domino's and Hungry Jack's, 
he's grown his worth by about 30% in the last couple of years because he's invested heavily in people like Boost Juice and Dominoes and he's seen the opportunities there. So it's a cycle, just like property. One of the issues that I see for business owners just generally is that they're sort of growing this business without any real concept of what its value looks like at sale. And one day they get to the point of sale and they suddenly realise that it has very little value or very little value in comparison to the amount of time, blood, sweat and tears that they've poured into it, you know. And sometimes that can be shocking for them. You know, I just think it's really interesting to investigate different ways of growing a business, just like we're talking about now franchising, in terms of how can you take your business asset and turn it into something that is far more valuable as a larger or scaled end than it is as its solo operation. And when you're talking about your cafe owners, cafes have very little sale value. But as a group, clearly there's opportunity for a much higher multiple, much higher value. And so I think in that lies a really important thought process that business owners who are interested in the value of the enterprise that they're building and the value at the end of the day, the end of the game, really should be seriously thinking about. Oh, yeah. Look, the key to everything is simplicity. You know, people, as human beings, we have a trait of making things too complicated. Einstein said, make it simple, but not too simple. And that's really the key. Stripping down and getting rid of what you don't need, the unprofitable lines. I mean, it may even be a legal practice. There's no point in us doing marine law. We've got three people who specialize in it. We never get any work. We never make any money out of it. Let's stop doing marine law. And it's the same with the business. Shannon in Perth stopped doing domestic cleaning because he realized it brought in 15% of his revenue and cost 30% of his costs. So the whole thing is simplicity. And when you look at groups, you know, when you look at a coffee club, they change hands for a million dollars for the franchisee. So because it's got a brand, it's got a brand. So people walk in with the confidence. There's a group in Southeast Queensland called Zarafas, a coffee group. They've probably got 130 outlets now. The fellow used to be a franchisee with another organization 15 to 20 years ago. And one of their outlets near us was one of the first with a drive-through coffee shop. The lady that owned it and had it for about six years, it's on the edge of a shopping center. She sold it recently for $800,000. And the vast majority of that business is drive-through coffee. So it's the multiples, you know, news agencies change hands for 10 times their net profit. Pretty slim return on investment. You spend 100000 you make 10. And milk, milk wholesalers, you know, the delivery drivers. And then, of course, newspapers became available in shopping centers. Everything got deregulated and those monopolies were broken down. So we're seeing that sort of whole market varies from the point of view of return on investment. But for a franchise, generally, if it's a good group and they look after their franchisees, you'll see their return on investment when they sell will be higher than most conventional businesses. And, and that's a good sales piece for the franchise or out to, you know, getting these new franchisees in as well. Oh, yeah. I worked with a Doug McDonald in Coffs Harbour some years ago. He's got a car service place like an Ultratune or Midas. It's called Superloop. And we went through and documented it for franchising. Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with an illness. It wasn't terminal, but many had to wind back work. Wise, and he sold it. He sold it to a guy who was an accountant. Now, selling a car service center to an accountant, normally they are hard to sell. You only sell it to a mechanic. And the business broker said, your business was so systemized that the purchaser could just step in and run it. He's a car enthusiast. 
and he paid 50% more than you would normally get in that marketplace for that business. Mm. You've got a good business, strip it back to basics, what makes the best profit, and just replicate it. Growing a business is really torturous. But if you replicate it very, very effectively, then you've got a simpler way of growing the business, making money. And the thing I found when I joined Bedshire that shook me, I was very anti-franchising. I won't go into that now, but I thought, you know, I joined and I was amazed with the camaraderie amongst franchisees. We'd all be ringing each other and coming up with ideas. And the franchisor, would be like John O'Brien, the founder of Paul Works, said to me a while back, he said, I haven't had an original idea for 10 years. My franchisees come to me with ideas because they're on the shop floor and they say, hey, John, why don't we build swimming pool fences or why don't we repair the gates or whatever it might be. So you've got a whole number of people all looking for the same objective to grow the business. So that's one of the big advantages. And the disadvantage with licensing is you don't have control over that. So licenses are more suited just a product to commodities. And traditionally, you know, an agency, if you just want to sell widgets, then, you know, hair dryers or whatever it might be, they're licensed probably the way to go. But if you want to control the product and the marketing and the brand and the delivery, then you probably need a franchise. And uh, some people see that as a disadvantage. I see it as an advantage because the more systemized you are, the more chance of success, the more you can leverage and take a holiday and the more attractive it's going to be for sale ultimately. I really love your point here. I think it was a really, really good point about your mechanic that had done all of this work to gear it up for franchising, didn't go through that process, but added 50% to its sale value. So what a great example of way to move the needle in terms of business value. And obviously, you know, I talk a lot in our podcast, The Deal Room, about the benefits of running a business in a sale-ready state. And it sounds to me like franchising is the same, right? You're sort of building it into the vehicle that really is a sale-ready state as well as something then that can be scaled through franchise if that's the way that you decide to go. So then rounding back really quickly, let's just get into a conversation about costs. I don't think the conversation would be complete unless we just had, you know, a little snapshot here. What's the minimum sort of cost a business owner could be expecting? to franchise. Okay. Let's look at an ideal scenario of someone who's got a business that's almost franchise ready. It looks like a franchise. It's well systemized. It's got good operations manuals. He's got his IP protected. He could take a program we offer, for example, and work through that process using all of the material we provide, videos and podcasts and stuff like that, for probably the mid-20s, plus he's going to pay at his legal, plus any expert input he needs. The cost of franchising from legal documents varies enormously, as you would be aware, and so would your listeners. You know, I see people who buy them online, and you might as well trash them straight away. There are a lot of lawyers who do franchise agreements who, frankly, don't necessarily understand franchising, I don't think, well enough. One of the things there is, I think one of the reasons a lot of groups aren't successful, smaller ones than they get off the ground, is because they get the legals done first before they actually know how their model works. So I always say to lawyers, it's actually a tandem. You need to, sure, do the legals, but first find out, get your budgets done. Make sure you know what your fee structure should be and what you need by way of protection and so on. And make sure that once you do get those legals done, that you've got all the operations manuals and the systems and the training and that. So that the two, the ops manuals and the franchise agreement are key elements that need to be together like brother and sister. 
So that's an area I think that a lot of people don't understand. I think it's such a good point. I have to tell you, Brian, I have seen some crap franchise agreements out there. (laughs) It's like any document, right, I guess. You know, there's good versions, bad versions, but I've seen some real shockers. Like everything, I think it's about taking the approach of being really well organised and not just thinking you can take a document from anywhere and slap it in. You know, I think part of the issue with the particularly bad ones I've seen, I think it's come from the concept anything will do and we'll just whack anything together because it's just something that sits in the bottom of a drawer. But if you take legal agreements as a whole as being the opportunity to properly set up a relationship between the parties, then you'll come at it from a completely different approach. The problem is, we all know, a legal agreement, maybe it's not important in the early days, but once there's a dispute, a smart lawyer who knows their stuff, and it happened with one of the lawyers that worked with me quite closely. I work with a, a number of lawyers and we work in closely because we mentor each other, all that sort of thing. And he actually had eight retail food group franchisees in one of their pizza chains. And he was able to successfully, he went to court, was able to successfully drive a truck through their franchise agreements because they were so poorly created. And, you know, if you haven't got a decent franchise agreement, you may save yourself two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000, but one little dispute, and it's cost you that. Not that they're related to value. I've seen agreements that people have paid $45,000 for. It's perhaps not the right forum to discuss that, but the reality is I think that's excessive. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Discretion rules, but uh, yeah. <laughs> what we've done, which is a bit different, you know, we've got a cloud-based business and so on, so we launch it as a new concept rather than all the old traditional consulting methods. Is we bring all that together, so we pull in-house a lawyer, we'll pull someone's lawyer in and work with them at the right point and we'll help them understand what we believe should be in the agreement so that people can come together get something that works. So uh, I think the simplicity at the end of the day with everything you do (laughs) and a commitment to people, goodness me, you know, that's really what it comes down to. Well, Brian, I don't think we could sum it up any better than that. That's really a great way of pulling it all together. Look, I just want to thank you for your time today because this has been such a useful discussion, I think, for all of our listeners who have businesses or who are advisors to businesses that have a mind on growth and scale as a potential way of achieving that. Certainly something to at least ponder. Brian, if people want to contact you, how do they do that? Well, there's my website, franchisesimply.com.au is probably the best place. There's a pop-up with a free book, How to Franchise My Business Simply, and they can order that and book an appointment. Otherwise, they can call me. There's a phone number on the website, 1300 960 136. 1-300-960-136. And look, we've got tools and so forth for people to, to check out for themselves whether they think franchising is right for them. And we run weekend workshops, all that sort of stuff. So we've got all the tools in place. I'm always happy to chat with someone. And if I don't think it's suited to them, I mean, I really will steer them away and perhaps suggest they might look at something else or we'll get a, get a business partner who understands different aspects of business and so on. So I think that's important. We can hear your genuineness. I get it. I really like your focus on you know, on the people side and the passion that business owners should have for the business, not just the payday that they think they're generating. (laughs) Because it 
it's a uh, it's a combination of all of that I think at the end of the day so Brian I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on board anyone who is listening to this episode and really wants to contact Brian but doesn't have a pen in hand don't worry we will link through to all of those links from our show notes which you can find over at talkinglaw.com.au or on the show notes on your iPhone or wherever you're playing this podcast from today. Thank you once again, Brian. Oh, it's been a privilege. It's been delightful. Thank you so much, Jana. Really enjoyed it. Well, that's it for this episode of Talking Law. Just as a quick recap, in this episode, we talked to Brian Keane, the founder of Franchise Simply, all about the opportunities in franchising a business. We looked at the area, warts and all, (laughs) but I think you'll agree that it really should start a consideration process, some thoughts rolling around in your head if you have a business that you really want to grow and grow quickly. Certainly from the discussion with Brian, it should be very apparent that this is not a ticket to easy street. This is not simply creating an easy way to passive income. There's a lot of blood, sweat and toil required in making this journey, but certainly it's a really interesting thing for us as business owners if we're really looking at the concept of growth to perhaps at least understand a little bit about So I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed recording it with Brian. I really do love talking about these topics. So I hope that you enjoyed hearing it just as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you'd like a little bit more information about this topic, then why don't you head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au. Now, if you'd like to know what to do to prepare your business for franchising, then you can get in contact with Brian and we'll have some links through to him from our show notes. If you're interested in understanding about what you can do to protect your brand, of course, protecting your brand is a really key important element if you're ever considering franchising or licensing your brand, then get in contact with our team at Aspect Legal. So just head over to our website and there you can organize a free consultation with one of our specialist trademark legal eagles over at Aspect Legal who can talk to you all about your trademarking requirements and any questions that you might have about that area of law in terms of locking in the IP and the value of the IP in your business. If you'd like to hear more from Brian and me, we are both co-authors of the book Secrets of Business Experts Exposed. So if you'd like to take a deeper dive into some of the business tips and strategies that we talk about in that book, then just hit me up via email. Email us at inquiries at aspectlegal.com. And in the subject put, please send me a book and we'll send you a complimentary copy of the book. Whoever said nothing comes free clearly hasn't met us here at Aspect Legal. Pop over to iTunes or your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. And that's it for us. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time.
a professional involved in business sales and acquisitions activity, for example, if you're a broker or an accountant or a business consultant, or if you're a business owner looking to expand by acquisition or you're building to sell your business in the future, check out Talking Law's sister podcast, The Deal Room. Together with Talking Law, these are now two of the top legal podcasts in Australia. The Deal Room podcast contains information, interviews and tips and tricks relating to the world of business sales and acquisitions. We love this area of law and thought it was high time we took some of our specialist knowledge and shared it in a commercial context, rather than just talking about legal stuff on its own. We release new episodes every Tuesday. You can listen to our episodes on www.thedealroompodcast.com or you can subscribe to The Deal Room Podcast on iTunes to be the first to know when a new episode is out. Just type in the search panel in iTunes, The Deal Room Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.